how precious it was to look at all those children just brought up here. and Each one represents a unique life that's so full of potential. And life is precious, and as such, we need to be careful to protect it. Just consider each of the parents that presented those children today and how they vowed to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, their hopes for the child. Why? What does it matter? Well, I'd like to share with you today some very important things that the Bible says about life. And so with that, I'd just like to open in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, as worshipers of you, Father, we do celebrate life. We are grateful to you, the life giver. And Father, as we just witnessed all those little lives, and we think of the future of their lives, we pray your blessing upon them your protection over them, and the wisdom for their parents to raise them in the way they should go. We thank you for your word, that it is truth, and that it is reality. And we pray that you would open our hearts to hear your word today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, life has kind of fallen on hard times. I don't know if you realize that or not. It's current news that a well-known and respected coach in the NFL let it be known by Twitter that he was going to attend the March for Life in Washington, D.C. and was summarily dismissed as a right-wing extremist. He's arguably a man that has been literally venerated throughout the NFL world as a man of character, Coach Dungy. And due to his religious convictions, he's now reported to be a rabid right-wing bigot. Why? Because he believes what the Bible teaches, that life begins at conception, and life in the womb is precious and should be protected. These are serious people who promote infanticide and euthanasia and depopulation theory in every Western nation. And they call out on any who would hold different convictions to be vilified. Such people, in their views, fall under a category that has aptly been called the culture of death. They wouldn't refer to themselves as that, but that is exactly what they are. Our own Minnesota House passed the DFL's keynote Protect Reproductive Options Act. This is coming out of the Supreme Court's decision to overrule Roe v. Wade, and by a vote of 69 to 65, they pushed it into uh, the Senate. You see, what this bill promotes is exactly the opposite of what was promoted by the disavowing of Roe v. Wade, which was that abortion could not be applied 15 weeks and older. It turns these matters back to the states. It's true. And our state has put a bill, if put into law, makes it a fundamental right to abortion through the ninth month of pregnancy. It's the most radical abortion bill in the United States. 
To be blunt, what is being decided is whether or not abortions may be performed on a baby in the womb until the moment before birth. At the same time, amendments to ban partial birth abortions and third trimester abortions, with exceptions, were also rejected. That's here. That's in Minnesota where Minnesota nice is, right? So opponents of those considered pro-life say it's the most extreme abortion bill in the entire United States, and the bill now heads to the Senate for an up or down vote. We need to be praying about that. And if I was able, I would be joining the prayers of those at the Capitol today. So if you, rather than maybe going out to lunch with everybody, pick up something, fast food, and go to the Capitol. Listen to what they have to say because they're people that are for life. They're celebrating life. In the face of the so-called culture of death, a a Bible-believing Christian, it's incumbent on us to celebrate life. I I was captured by one of the phrases in a song that we sang, Jesus Christ chose a womb, his mother's womb, to enter into. That's pretty profound when you stop and think about it. And when you think about our own culture, right? There are clear biblical reasons behind this celebration of life. Rather than taking time to delve into devastating statistics on abortion, I've done that in years past in Sanctity Sunday. And I don't want to be a downer. I want to be an upper. Because I think we scored a huge win with the Supreme Court's decision. Now we need to pray for the states. Okay, everybody remain calm. That's an iPhone, and iPhones do that when you press two buttons at the same time. I've taken it off mine. It's not going to surprise anybody, not going to surprise anybody who's attended church or been exposed to the Bible at all, that the book, the Bible here, teaches that God is the source of life. We believe in a creator He's not only the creative source of human life, but he's also the ultimate sustainer of life. Jesus promised in unmistakable language, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. What did Jesus' words mean? And and if he came to bring life, the implication is, is that not everybody possesses that life. He brought something, right? And what does that mean? Life and life abundantly. Well, I'd like to talk to you just a little bit about God and life. And he is the beginning of life. You know, there's a verse in Psalm 11.3 that is very, very precious to me. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that sounds pretty dire. What is the foundation referred to by the psalmist? Well, I personally believe that it's the foundation that we find in Genesis. And beginning uh, right after our creation seminar, the following week I'm going to start a series on foundations and teach through Genesis 1 through 11. Because I think we need to be reminded of what a firm foundation we have in the scripture. And we'll be addressing many, many implications in that study. 
But let's go back to the very beginning and the foundation of life that God established in the Bible and take it from there. Do you know we all have a creator? God is the giver and sustainer of life. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. And if you don't already have these verses underlined, you should. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over uh, creepy, uh, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Those things all you ladies are afraid of. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's the first mention of human life in the Bible. And then God said, let us make man. And he created them, male and female. And so life was God's idea. And life originally comes from God. And God decided that human beings, male and female, were to possess his image. Quite simply, the Imago Dei is what sets us apart from the rest of God's creation. We are not just animals, as some would really press for today. He created many things with life, some with Satan yet life, and some with not. That kind of life that I'm talking about is aware that it's alive. Not all life that he created is aware, self-aware of their life. Animals are. Plants are not. But when God created people in his image, he went beyond that life form of self-awareness that we are alive to address and instill other characteristics in human beings not evident in any other form of life that he created. Now, this is hard because I love dogs. And dogs are really smart. I have two standard poodles. you got to get up pretty early in the morning to get one over on them. But they, have, they, they carry nothing compared to man. Nothing at all. I'm sorry, guys. You see, only human beings have the capacity to know to love, and to obey God. My poodles, as smart as they are, don't know a whit about that. He created us with cognitive processes that allow us to not only be self-aware, but also God-aware. We are spiritual beings. We can express affection, adoration, and love toward the one that created us. And this is most clearly observed by our volition when we choose to obey him or disobey him, as the case may be. So we have the capacity to know, to love, and obey God. Now, volumes have been written about the Imago Dei, and it doesn't, it doesn't uh, get much more foundational for human beings created in the image of God than the Imago Dei. Let me give you five facts that come out from God's direct creation of humanity. The first one is, it means that people are not autonomous. 
We are not our own. We did not create ourselves. But we are dependent upon a creator. That's the first foundation that has been lost with evolution. Secondly, it means that man is not God. You've heard the old saying that the difference between a lawyer and God is that at least God knows he's not a lawyer. Right? (laughs) The pride of man is something else. And we vaunt ourselves above where we ought. People have been created by God, and therefore, in a true sense, mankind is in a lower position than God. If he is the creator and we are the created, he is higher than we are just by the fact of his creation. Number three, it means that people, as God's creation, are to submit to God. It stands to reason if he is the creator and we are the created, we are under his jurisdiction as created beings. People's action bring consequences. Ecclesiastes 11.9 is a stark reminder. It says this, quote, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. But know this, God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So follow those desires, those inclinations and so forth, but recognize that there is an almighty judge that will hold you accountable for the choices that you make. There's personal responsibility for behavior, and all behavior is observed and judged by God the Creator. So you see that this direct creation of humanity means that we're not autonomous, that we are not God, and we are to submit to him. Fourthly, it means that God the creator assigned a unique role to his creation people. Genesis 1.28 says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. This is known as the creation mandate. It's never been rescinded. It's never been rescinded. We have a role to perform. And fifthly, it means that people were created to give God glory. Isaiah has said this, quote, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created, that would be all of us, (laughs) okay? Everyone whom I have created for my glory. What is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Thus is the catechism. He says, whom I formed, even whom I have made. So our purpose is that we've been created to give God glory. Now, let me relate a couple more thoughts from the Bible. This is an amazing thing. In Genesis 2.7, in Genesis chapter 2, just for your information, is a reiteration and a, a more intense looking into what was said in Genesis chapter 1. It's not a second creation. It's not a second creation story. And and in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Human life began with God, and he and he alone is the source of all life. Now, how intimate... 
how personal could you possibly get with a man formed of the dust of the earth to have a word picture that God has portrayed for us of him bending down and breathing the breath of life into his nostrils? I mean, you know, everything is groups today, right? Everything is groups. This is one man and God's interaction with one man. How personal, how intimate, what kind of a creator is this? This gives meaning to us as persons. It gives us personhood. People are flailing about like in a black box trying to figure out who they are, where they fit in. And the very first chapters of the Bible tell us very clearly. There's implications to that truth. Simple deduction would reason since life came from God, we have God to thank for life. Another implication is if someone doesn't thank God for life, they'd be ungrateful. Ungrateful. And there's a lot of ungrateful people out there. Psalm 104, 29 tells us, quote, when you hide your face, God, they are dismayed. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. It's God who gives life. It's not merely the result of our doing. Don't ever look at your children and think, that's the result of me. Talk about pride. Children are a gift of God, we're told in the Bible. Colossians 1.17 explains the role of God as a sustainer. It says, And he is before all things, speaking of Jesus Christ, who is God. And in him, all things hold together. You better be praying that he doesn't take his hands off. Because he's holding it all together, right? Job 34, 14 sums it all up succinctly, saying, If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, that would be taking his hands off, all flesh would perish and man would return to dust. And then he'd go and blow on us, right? We're just dust. I think Greg was talking about that, wasn't he? A couple weeks ago, he was talking about the supremacy of Christ. Jesus Christ is supreme. He is the one from above. We're below. We're just dirt. Now, clearly, the Bible sees God as both a creator and a sustainer of all life. And and I trust, in this short recounting of the creation of humanity and listing a few of the implications, it may help us to understand why life is valuable and why we should celebrate it at every level, folks, at every level. Now, for my third point, if you're following along in your bulletin, it's up to you. It's up to you. We have a choice. Where will we look to determine the value of life? We really do have a choice, and there there are alternatives presented to us. There is a valued place on life by people who do not acknowledge God, his creatorship, or his words about life. Now, if any of you have had relatives that have had cancer and you've gone moving into hospice and so forth, you've heard terms like I'm going to use now. Today there's a lot of talk of quality of life. 
And decisions are being put before people concerning the quality of life. The idea behind quality of life is established based upon the ideal of enjoyment. Enjoyment. Does this life enjoy or can it expect the potential for pleasure or success? What value does this life bring to others, to society, to its own family, etc.? But this is not considering the value, the true value of life, but rather it's using humanly contrived measuring sticks to determine the value of life. Life has intrinsic value because God created it. God determines various degrees of life, not other people. And from our human perspective, but the value of life is determined by God, not people. You don't want to give people that prerogative. You do not want to go there. What God determines sometimes does not seem equitable. There is a word for us today, equity. Everybody has the same outcome. Not in life. And the Bible is replete with instances of this. Why, we ask, is one born into a rich family with no end of opportunity while another is born blind to an impoverished family with not much hope of any future at all? Why is that? Who determines that? Consider these statements from the Bible, people. Proverbs 22.2. The rich and the poor have a common bond. This is a common point that we all have the rich and the poor. The Lord is maker of them all. You've got an issue with the blind boy that's born to a poverty-stricken family? Talk to God about it. Could God not have had that child born into a rich family? Sure. But see, now you're delving into areas that you really want to go there? Well, some do. Romans 9, 20 through 21 talk about that. On the contrary, who are you, old man? Who answers back to God? Careful. The thing molded will not say to the molder, meaning the creator, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter, the creator, have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? You see, The implied answer to both is yes. The potter has a right over the clay to do as he pleases. He is the creator. Do we understand it? Not always. But can we trust him? If you know the character and nature of God, you will trust him. Because he is not an ogre. He is not just a judge. He's a loving author of salvation. So he sees our predicament. And he enters into it and alleviates it from us. He's a loving God. He's a just God. He's righteous. But he's merciful. And he's loving. We're studying in our men's Bible study, men and women's Bible study, systematic theology. And we're just kind of hung up right now on the attributes of God. Just a marvelous study to remind us of who we're dealing with. And how dare we have the audacity to say, what are you doing that for, God? Oh, be careful. Read Job, especially chapters 38 through 40. Uh, Job was questioning, and God said, hey, let me ask you a couple questions, Job. (laughs) Marvelous truth there. Marvelous truth. 
Well, there's value to human life. There's value of man. In, in Genesis 9, 6 and James 3, 9, we read, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man's blood shall he be shed, or shall it be shed, because in the image of God he made man. There's, there's intrinsic value in the creation of a human being, in life. And we value that life. And if you take another man's life, it says man has the right to take your life, according to the Bible. James 3.9 says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. The implication is you should not do that because you're cursing God, because you're cursing his creation. The image of God gives dignity. He is God's chosen keeper of the earth, and it is his job to subdue it. Don't tell those guys over in Switzerland about this. The term man is used generically to mean mankind or humanity, both male and female. But you see, when we look at the concerted effort to denigrate the male figure in Western culture, it doesn't even see him as a leader. I mean, that's why we've got trail life coming. We need to start standing in the gap because our young boys are not getting this from the culture around them. They don't promote them as leaders, but instead they portray, portray men as bumbling buffoons on TV and in movies and social media. And the women are the savvy ones and the smart, and even kids know more than dad does. At least that's the way it's promoted in contemporary culture. Now, never mind that women are smarter than men. Don't tell them I said that. The thing is, is that there's a concerted effort against maleness. Why? Because God has determined in his word that men will lead. Men are the head of the family. Men are leaders. And that's what he wants. And the whole culture that does not believe in God is contrary to that. So it's no surprise. How about the value of women? Special honor is due the woman. And husbands are to sacrificially offer their lives for them, even as Christ died for the church, we're taught in Ephesians. Biblically, women have a shared spiritual quality and were included in the worship in both Old Testament and New Testament. They're part of Jesus' disciples and given much press, some of the first converts in Acts, Lydia. In addition to their unique role and privilege of bearing children, Eve was called the mother of all living. That's a term of honor, not dishonor. And wherever the gospel is spread, the social, legal, and spiritual status of women has, as a rule, been elevated, not brought down. And when the gospel has been eclipsed, whether by repression or false religion, humanistic philosophy or spiritual decay within the church, the status of women has declined accordingly. Today it's common to see marriage portrayed as bondage. What would you ever do that for? And motherhood as less than desirable, if not downright foolish, because it's something that ruins her body, her career, and her life, generally speaking. So view on marriage, it's contrary to what the Bible says. And there's value of children. They're they're heritage and a reward. I mean, we just looked at these little ones. And I'm glad that you moms and dads are here 
Because you're going to be encouraged here and strengthened in having children. It's good to have kids. They rise up and they call their mothers blessed and and they bring honor to their fathers as they have been brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're the true radicals. Maybe they're right. I don't want to say right-wing radicals, but honestly, in the culture, we believe in life, we believe in marriage, we believe in respecting male authority. Oh my gosh, we're, we're in a trash bin of culture, right? No, wrong. Wrong, 100% wrong. How about the value, uh, value of, of children when you look at today, whether a child lives or dies resides squarely with the choice of the woman because it's her body to do with what she chooses, right? And the law is now being decided state by state and by our state has chosen to have abortion on demand up to the ninth month. Folks, pray against that. How about the value of aged? Now, I'm starting to feel a little sensitive there. Okay? Respect and honor our due seniors. (laughs) And the Bible teaches that gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained by righteous living. Now we're to stand up before the aged and and honor an old man in his ways and show the fear of God. Don't despise your mother when she is old and listen to your father, Proverbs teaches us. Instead, today, seniors are despised. There's a discernible lack of patience towards them. And the idea of euthanasia is being entertained by many and adopted by some as law. I'll tell you what, you folks that have your houses paid off and everything, you need to make room for these young people. They need your homes. Come on. (laughs) Get in line here, right? Wow. So the first choice that we have is the choice to believe what God says about the value of life and to celebrate it. Secondly, and this is much shorter, what's the difference? What's all this mean? What, what difference does it make? Well, the choice is between life or death. A short review that I gave you of the Bible's description of the origin of life and its truth claim that life's intrinsic value is due to the fact that people are created in the image of God may also help us to understand a couple of New Testament verses, which I will read to you right now. One is Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That simply means that people do not do and are not what God created them to be or do. All. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's in Genesis chapter 3, with Adam and Eve disobeying their creator and choosing to be what they thought was autonomous, but what they were doing is putting themselves under the authority of the one that tempted them. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. If we're all sinners, there is a consequence to that sin, and that consequence is not life, It's death, both physical and spiritual. Can you see it? Everything that God created people to be and do has been completely messed up by sin. Sin is a disease. It's in all of us. It's a corruption. And therefore, 
we all fall short of what God created us to be and to do. We are to honor him. We are to bring glory to him, our creator, and we don't. And the consequence of that is death, not life. Now, the wages of sin is death, but, and there's a glorious but here, it doesn't end there. At least it doesn't have to. Because God makes a way for forgiveness of all sin. Just as few words away from that bad news that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he says, but, but, what a contrast. And it provides everyone with a choice for life. But, the free gift of God is eternal life. The free gift, that means it's by grace that we're saved, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And that is us to take, if we so choose. And what are we taking? What is that gift? It's eternal life, not death, not the consequences of sin, which all of us are guilty of. We can choose eternal life because God has proffered it to us as a gift, a free gift. I've written these things, John says in 1 John, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that, that's the reason he wrote it, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a choice. Do you want to die? Remain as you are. Do you want eternal life? Repent of your sin and turn to God and thank him for his gift. It's free. And that gift is in Christ Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) Pretty clear, right? This is not rocket science, folks. It's very easy to understand. Only two ways. Your own way, which leads to death, and the way of God, which is eternal life. And then it says... In Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. That little word, Lord, changes everything. Because what it does is it changes the trajectory from being autonomous and deciding everything about your life, your ambitions, your goals, your dreams, everything. And it turns it over to God and says, here, take my life, you run it. You created me. You you are the one that has the owner's manual. He, He wrote down for us. Okay, so... And I want you to run my life now. I don't want to run it anymore. That's basically your choice. And I just tell you, the choice for you today is choose life and choose to celebrate it. It's intrinsically ours from God. And then the second element of that is choose life eternal. Why will you die? Why will you choose to be separate from God for all eternity? With that, I would like to close in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift called life and this incredible opportunity that we have to have eternal life. Or as Christ would say, life more abundantly. Oh God, may your word fall into the hearts of and minds of some who have maybe heard this for the first time or maybe it's resonated for the first time. 
And may they choose today, you don't have to walk down an aisle or even raise your hand. You can just choose in your own heart today. I want that. Oh God, may it be so. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.